Hey, I'm Dr. Judy, and welcome to Supercharged Life, where I help you discover new ways to create success, wellness, and fulfillment, and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. Now, don't forget to download and subscribe to my podcast today. And please rate this podcast because I really value your feedback. I am so pumped about today's topic. Right now, our heads are filled with scary news from the coronavirus pandemic to the state of the world. So I wanna pivot, take you into a whole new headspace and make today's episode uplifting, rewarding, and empowering. Here's a fact. Did you know that during a time of crisis, lots of good things happen too? It's true. There's often a wave of innovations and new ideas during these times. Think about it. A look back at history shows some of the powerhouses today were launched in the one to two years after the 2008 economic crisis. That includes WhatsApp, Groupon, Airbnb, Venmo, and even Instagram. But innovation doesn't happen in a silo. It doesn't happen alone. Generally, innovations happen when you have amazing mentors. Mentors can be your inspiration. They can open your eyes to creative thinking and expert advice and be a great sounding board to help you develop new ideas and provide you with the knowledge you need to innovate. And you're never too successful or too old to find a mentor. Bill Campbell, Coach Steve Jobs and Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg had Steve Jobs, Bill Gates had Warren Buffett, and the list goes on. And did you know that the lessons of good business and career success can be applied to your family too? In fact, they must be applied to your family if you want to bring your life together full circle and make sure that you feel fulfilled in all aspects of your life without suffering burnout and lack of drive. I got this great question on Instagram this week from Jan. Jan's a small business owner who is struggling with balancing work and life. She feels pressure to make a living for her family, but she also wants to make sure she isn't casting her husband and children to the side. Over the past few weeks, she's been feeling increasingly disconnected from her loved ones, but she says the pressure is unrelenting and she can't give up on her work life, which also demands her undivided attention. If you can relate to Jan, listen on. In building a template for success, it's important that we look to others who are just a bit ahead of us in their life journey and get inspired. Finding others who have achieved meaningful success in different areas of their lives is one crucial way that we can strengthen our own motivation for whatever we want to accomplish next. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. My guests today have tapped into both the secrets of success in business and family, and they are here to share the valuable lessons they've learned with all of you today. Can't wait to get started. Make sure you listen to the very end for my supercharged tips of the day and an exciting giveaway from Kevin and Mark. So I'm super pumped to welcome Kevin Harrington and Mark Timms to the podcast. Kevin Harrington is one of the original sharks of the hit TV show Shark Tank. He started his career at nine years old, delivering newspapers door to door. So he was an entrepreneur already. And now he delivers tens of millions of dollars to companies through hard work and his brilliant business acumen. Mark Tim is a serial entrepreneur who started more than a dozen companies, several of which have multiplied and been sold. He has spoken professionally for more than 25 years, giving thousands of speeches to millions of people around the globe. They have just co-authored a book called Mentor to Millions, a journey that radically redefines what it means to truly succeed at work, at home, and every area of life. This book charts both of their personal stories from the pivotal moment when they decided that they wanted to be entrepreneurs and they share their brilliant understanding of how work, life, and relationships can coexist and thrive together. Welcome, Kevin and Mark. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Great to be here. 
Thank you so much. You know, I really loved your book. It was a great read. And what I want to talk about first is this concept of mentorship. You both talk throughout the book about the importance of mentors. And actually, both of you were mentored by Zig Ziglar. Mm-hmm. And I know, Mark, you also consider Kevin to be a really important mentor of yours. So I'll go to you first, Mark. Why do you think mentors are so important? Yeah, mentors are so important because, uh, you know, we wrote the book Mentor to Millions. And I want to point out right up front that the millions is not money. The millions is impact. So the yeah. fastest way to impact the world, if you've got a product, a purpose or a passion that the world needs, mentorship is the fastest way. And it's the secret, right? Super successful people. People that we think of out there, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, you know, Richard Branson, they all have a secret. And that secret is they had mentors. They all had mentors in their life. So if you're thinking that everybody did it on their own, <laughs> your thinking is wrong. We were not put on this earth to be alone. We're not supposed to do it alone. And so mentorship is the way to do it fast, the way to do it exponentially. In fact, this very book would not exist if it wasn't for a mentor in my life, who, by the way, happened to be a mentor in Kevin's life. Zig Ziglar mentored both of us. So I didn't know Kevin. Kevin didn't know me, but we knew the family of Zig Ziglar. And it was the Mm. family of Zig Ziglar that said, you two need to meet. So even after Zig passed from this earth, his legacy of mentorship in our life is living on. And we decided that we needed to share this message in honor of our mentor and in honor of all the people out there that have something special that the world needs. And they don't know that the quickest way to get it there is mentorship. And so we want to make sure that nobody has that misconception again. And I was lucky to have Kevin as a mentor, having it a shark from Shark Tank. I love that show. <laughs> I got one of the original sharks from Shark Tank to be my mentor, and it has changed my life immensely as well. And I wanted to tell that story as well. I love that because people sometimes are afraid to reach out. They don't want to bother people. But my experience, and I've been really touched by mentors throughout my life as well. And if it wasn't for them, I would not be where I am today. Um, is that generally people want to help. They do want to give back and they want to spread their knowledge. And the two of you are doing such a great job of this because it's really about paying it forward and learning from the experience. Kevin, what is the importance of mentors in your life? And what's one of the most important lessons you've learned from a mentor? Great question. And I go all the way back. Um, I, I sort of joke when I say I had my first mentor his name was Charlie and I was 11 years old. It it was my father. So, uh, but my dad opened a restaurant. He was a bartender before that, saved up money and he wanted to be his own boss and an entrepreneur. So he, when, when I was working at 11 years old, I wasn't just washing dishes. I was actually in the back counting the money and he would show me his suppliers and all kinds of different things that was happening. So um, I, I, I then, as, as I worked there for, uh, for a couple of years into high school, he said, now it's time for you to start your own business. And he mentored me through that next phase. I had a business in high school, then a business in college. And, and of course, the, the, my father was, was very powerfully helping me. I got him not only at work, but at home too. But as I moved on from there, I, I, I started building my business in the as seen on TV space in, yes. in the early 80s. One day I was watching television and there was a, a Discovery Channel when it first launched was only an 18 hour a day channel. And so I'm watching during the six hours, there's nothing on. And I called the cable company and they said, oh, we have six hours of unsold time. And that's, this is back almost 40 years ago. And that's when I said, well, I'm going to start 
let's cut a deal. I'll start plugging the time with products. And so mm-hmm. from Jack LaLanne and the juicer and Tony Little and fitness and all these different products, we were selling them. But I, because this was the early 80s, I was much younger, had no money to start. Really, I'd saved a few dollars. I mean, I, I mean, I didn't have the millions that I needed. I had capital just to get something started. So when I started this As Seen and TV business, all of a sudden I had all these orders that had come in, but I didn't have the capital to buy the inventory. So I was in a, you know, I was good at sales, but not good with finance. So the first real powerful mentor that I brought on board was a finance mentor that had had actually previously been the chairman of a bank, but he retired. And now he sat down with me and I showed him what I was doing. And I said, I've been turned down by five banks. I can't get money. We can't grow the business. And he looked at me and he said, Kevin, he said, your business is bankable. He says, I'm a banker. He said, I'll get you. What do you need? A $3 million line of credit? Yes. He said, give me 90 days and it'll probably come from one of the banks that turned you down because I know a few of those guys. So Make a long story short, we had, so our business had grown and then flatlined. And now the money came in, the $3 million line of credit, and that didn't cost me any money at all. He said, I'm doing this straight mentorship, no fee, no charge. It's just me to you. Now, after that money comes in, if you want to do something with me, then we can sit down and discuss maybe a more permanent situation. But Make a long story short, we took off from there. The business grew tremendously. And it was just amazing because it was the same company. <laughs> it just, it was a different presentation that was mm-hmm. made by the, 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 the gentleman that was a mentor banker than I was making because I just didn't know that business. I didn't know that world. So mentorship has been very powerful for me. Definitely entrepreneurship, entrepreneurs need mentors. And, and it's been a very powerful thing for me for many, many years, having good mentors in my life. I love that story. And by the way, your book is really phenomenal because not only are you both very good storytellers, every chapter is also chock full of practical advice and tips that people can put into practice today. And part of what you just mentioned, Kevin, is this idea related to the idea of fishing outside your ecosystem. Sometimes you're looking for mentors who have expertise and other areas that you may not be as well versed in. And they also see things in a different way and can provide you with so much knowledge and guidance to take your ideas to the next level. And I want to talk about mindset because, you know, have, that's a buzzword. Everyone's talking about mindset. What does it mean to have a good mindset? And I love that section of the book where you discuss this in detail and you give this example of Robert Bannister and the four minute mile that for the longest time, all the doctors are saying, there's no way a human being can run a four minute mile. And then this guy does it. And all of a sudden, dozens of other people are doing it as well. And really, our mind is so incredibly powerful. It can limit you, but it can also help you reach any goals that you want. So why do you think the number one thing holding entrepreneurs back is fear? Because as you're describing your story, Kevin, about how, okay, I'm just going to make this happen. I don't think that everybody feels that confident to just go out there and do these things. And so what is it about fear that is so crippling, not just to entrepreneurs, but to everybody. And why does that result in this analysis paralysis that we often see? Yeah. And I think people, they are afraid because they haven't experienced it yet. And it's, they're afraid to do it the first time. They're afraid Mm -hmm. of rejection. They're afraid of failing. 
And, and by the way, I, I was like that way back. And, and even I have two kids that, that are in my business. That one of their biggest things was fear of picking a project that wasn't going to work. And, and, and once I was able to show them and convince them failure is part of our day-to-day life in, in my business. Yes. If I launch 20 products in a year, they're not all going to make it. Maybe I might make five of them work or seven of them, but I'm going to fail more than I'm going to succeed. So I think yes. entrepreneurs on the front end, well, Let's put it this way. There, there are some risks that can be devastating because some entrepreneurs might have to quit a job to, to launch a business and use life savings so, or savings that they've got. So, so there can be good reasons for fear there that, oh, I got to quit a job. I got to use a lot of my capital or go borrow money, get loans. So yes, there's, there, there are reasons why you might want to be afraid, but this is also why I say, if this is the first time you're doing something, get the right kind of help, get the right kind of advice. You have a much greater chance of success if you've got somebody in your corner that's been there, done it before, they're not going to let you fail. And, and, but at the same time, you need to, you need to have your own game plan. You need to have your own really kind of day-to-day focus and passion and and real desire to make it work. So getting you have to get rid of the fear, though, up front, or it will burden you all the way through the whole process. And I'm really glad that you addressed failure right up front, because, Mark, you talk about this idea of rising from failure, that we should all just learn to know that mistakes are necessary to success and fail hard and fast and then rise up from the ashes like a phoenix. And I just love that imagery yeah. People still struggle, though, with the idea of failure. And just as Kevin was saying, if everybody looked at his ratio of success to failures, well, it wouldn't look as bright and shiny as people might imagine in their heads. There's a lot of failures before you make those successes. So why do you think people still struggle with this idea of failure. It's like they're so afraid of it that they won't even take that step forward. And I really loved how you weaved in this idea of the procrastinator who's actually a perfectionist and how people just stop moving forward. So can you tell me a little bit about that and what yeah. you've learned? Yeah. This, uh, so we call it the procrastinating perfectionist. And the concept is Kevin believes you only take a business idea to about 70% and then you launch it. So yeah. many people are trying to get it perfect that they never launch it, you know, or they're spending so much time that they talk themselves out of it. And so we did the entire chapter of the book called Failure to Phoenix because the phoenix is that mythical bird that only gets stronger if the previous version of itself dies. Well, in the entrepreneurial world, that's failure. And so if you can fail fast, fail cheap, if you can be like that phoenix and get stronger every time you fail, then your ratio will be like Kevin's. You'll see that failure is not a bad thing. It's actually the way we get stronger. It's the way we get better. And so we need to embrace failure. I look at my life, I have not been defined by my successes, but I have been defined by how I responded to my failures. And and that's why we want to encourage people to get out there. If you've got an idea, go fail, because that'll make sure that you succeed later on, because you'll learn from that failure. But if you spend all your time trying to get it perfect, number one, it'll never launch. And number two, there is no such thing as a perfect idea. There is no such thing as a perfect product but there are good products and you launch them and then you let the marketplace tell you where to go next and how to make it even better. So 
we, t- we did that chapter. We talk as much in the book about failure as we do about success because in Mentorship to Millions, we and, and people ask me all the time about mentorship. You want to find a mentorship mentor that has failed, okay? That's yes. one of the questions you should ask. And here's why. They think, oh, you want a mentor that's failed so that you don't have to fail. No, you want a mentor that's failed so that they'll let you fail. Okay, you yep. want a mentor that's failed so that they will let you learn from your failure and then be there to help you see why you failed, what you learned from the failure, and how to grow from that. It's not so that they'll keep you from failing because if that's the mentor you have, that's a bad mentor. They're setting you up for massive failure in life. You want a mentor that lets you fail and then helps you learn from it. I love that. And I think that it can also be applied to families. I think sometimes I see parents, they, they want to protect their children and they're trying to prevent them from failing and learning those lessons. But I will say, just like you were mentioning, Mark, some of the most brilliant learning moments that I've had as a human being is when I failed. Because I remember those lessons so clearly and I know how to respond the next time, right? I don't tend to think a lot about the times when I've been successful. I mean, yes, it's a great feeling, but really what defines me as a human being are the times that I failed. And I'm still telling those stories about like a massive failure I had in my twenties that like really stopped me from procrastinating, for example, right? Like you need those lessons to move forward in life. And I also think that as we're starting to break down the stigma of failure, which is why I'm so happy you guys are talking about this because people look at you guys are thinking you're so successful. There's no way these guys know what failure is. There's that idea. And I'm glad that you guys are saying, no, we failed a lot. Like come with us and we'll tell you how we failed and how that was one of the best things that's ever happened to us. But there's also this idea of being aggressively curious. And I really love this chapter of the book where you talk about these stories. I love that story about you, Kevin, where you brought a bag of articles and clippings and you were like aggressively going through them on a three hour flight. I think that's amazing. And then like the flight attendants coming with trash bags, like it was all planned, like everybody's ready. But I do sometimes think that people have difficulty being aggressively curious because of imposter syndrome. In some ways they're afraid if they ask questions or venture into an area maybe that they don't know very much about, that people are gonna point to them and say, well, what do you, what do you have to say about this space? You have no idea what you're talking about. And then it just kind of like makes them go back into their little corner. So like, how can people adopt this idea of being aggressively curious when maybe there's a little bit of that imposter syndrome? Yeah, I'll give underneath. you the, the, the best, the best way I like to describe it is that if you're an investor and, and you get a, a thousand, like I'm an investor, I'm getting thousands of pitches. All right. So over 150 a week, I'm still getting people coming to me for, you know, I've got this idea, right? Yeah. Now, in, in the old days, as a smaller investor, I would get five a week. So w- would you rather get 150 opportunities a week or five opportunities? So it's because some people only get one opportunity, maybe a month or a year. So if you don't create those opportunities, and this is why I go to the houseware show and the hardware show and the fitness show, the beauty shows, and, and this is all before COVID, but I used to do 30 plus trade shows a year, but not just go to the shows. I tried to get a speaking slot at as many of them as possible. And so I would speak at the houseware show, the hardware show, the fitness show, the beauty show, the toy show, the golf show. And now what's happening? Deal flow. And so yeah. it's, it's, this is being aggressively curious by going to these places, but I also read quite a bit. I read hours a day and 
Um, and, and Mark gets a, a charge out of watching me do that <laughs> on the plane the first time, but I literally do it every day. So, um, because I'm, I'm piled up, I, you know, five newspapers got delivered this morning. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's part of what I love. It's in my DNA. And, and my father, again, I go back to him when, when I would sit, he had, he worked 90 hours a week in his restaurant and Sunday was his day off. And I would see him sitting with a pile of newspapers and trade journals and say, Dad, what are you doing? It's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta stay in touch with what's going on in my industry, right? Mm -hmm. But he was also starting some other side hustles back in the day. So, cause he didn't want to keep all of his eggs in one basket, as he said. But th the reality is, is that folks just have to get, get up, be uncomfortable, go do things that you don't want to do because that now you know you're making some headway. If it, you know, if it's something that you're afraid to do, you got to push through it. And I love the fact that you're saying, just take a chance, get past that fear, because that's how we learn to be resilient. We say, oh, wow, we were scared, but then we push past it. Now we know that for the next time we feel this way, we can apply that lesson as well. And Mark, I love all of your stories throughout the book about your family and how you mentored your own family and just the learnings from your family. But also what I really enjoyed is in this section, you talked about listening more than you speak, right? That that is also part of being aggressively curious. It's a great tip. I don't think that a lot of people really apply it very well, but why do you think that's crucial? And how can we apply that not only in business, but also in the way that we deal with our families, particularly in this focused free time that you're talking about, where obviously entrepreneurs need to also have quality time with the people that they love. Yeah, you know, it's uh, real simple. I'll, I'll like break this down and get it so simple. And that is uh, God chose to give us two ears and one mouth. And I think it was for a reason. And so I think in almost every area of life, whether it's business or family, if you spend twice as much time listening as you do talking, I guarantee you the quality of your relationships will be twice as good as they were before. The quality of your interaction with your teams will be twice as good. You know, so we were supposed to listen and you can't really understand what someone needs, wants or expects unless you listen to them. And sometimes we get so passionate about our ideas. We get so passionate about, you know, what we want to share that we just talk over people and we we don't listen to what what they have to say. And that, that applies at home too. You know, I, I, I used to um, look at my family very differently. I talk about in the book, various different places. I take all the lessons I learned from Kevin and from Zig. And I said, what if that my family was my most valuable business in the world? What if I'm practicing in everything else I'm doing so that I can perfect it at home? What would that look like? And what if I truly became CEO of the most valuable business in the world? Well, I can't just come home and railroad all my ideas over them. I have to listen to them. I have to interact with them. I have to hear what their needs, wants, and expectations are, and then apply it accordingly. And so I think it's powerful. And by the way, you need to find mentors. Again, back to this mentorship thing. You know, I told you earlier, you need to find mentors that have failed. You need to find mentors that are good listeners. Okay, so yes. a mentor that's just going to tell you one way to do things and not listen to you and find out what your dreams are, what your unique abilities are to connect with the world is not a good mentor. Mentors need to have failed and they need to be really, really good listeners. Okay, and the last thing is, and I know I'm on a tangent here, they need to be mentored, meaning you yeah. ask your mentor, hey, who's mentoring you? Who's coaching mm. you? Because learning is a lifelong process. If you find somebody that says, you know, I'm good. I've learned everything I need to know in this life. They're not a good mentor if they're not continuing to learn themselves. You know, I'm, I'm the one, you mentioned that story on the airplane. I will tell you, it was one of the few times in my life that I actually thought I was on Canon camera. 
like, you know, Kevin gets up, he gets his bag down. I've never seen this bag. He starts pulling out all these newspapers and magazines. And just about the time, I didn't think he could fit another piece of newspaper, you know, in front of him. The stewardess picks it up, takes it away. And he starts again, like they were in it together. And I'm looking around like, am I the only one seeing this? You know, and so, but I learned that Kevin is always learning. That's what I love. He talked about aggressive curiosity. The guy is always learning, always trying to be better. Even, even though he's had so much success in life, he wants to be a better version of himself. That makes for a good mentor. So I know I kind of diverted on the question there a little bit, but I do love the question. We listen twice as much as we speak and we are destined to be twice as successful as we are today. It's a great diversion because I really ascribe to this concept of being a lifelong learner. And by the way, a good cure for imposter syndrome is if you keep learning because then you develop competencies, you start to feel more confident, right? And it is really important that you find a mentor who does the same, who listens. And again, throughout the theme of this book, a huge underlying theme is about the power of good quality relationships. And that actually applies to your concept of exponential growth. You're multiplying time, relationships, and business. And I also love when you talked about how everybody wants to look for the best deal, but that's actually not the way to scale a business. You can only grow if you're looking for fair deals. So can you guys describe this concept for me and our listeners and why that's so important to get to the next level yep. in your business? It, this is, it's, it's, it's so crazy. Just last week where I was doing a deal with somebody and, um, and I, and I asked them to give us a proposal for their fee structure and they came back and, and the, the number that they gave us was so low and like for us, great, but I actually, my guys were like, hey, you won't believe the deal that I just got. And I said, I'm going to tell you, we got to go back and we got to give them more. And he's, and he's like, wait a minute. I mean, no, they, I could have gotten them for less, but, you know, let's, we've got a deal now. So, and I'm like, let me tell you what's going to happen. This, this is an unseasoned business guy. He didn't get any advice. We're going to do this deal with him. And really it would, hey, he did it. So it's not necessarily taking advantage, but it's a deal is a deal. But someone's going to tell him down the road, and it may happen a month from now, six months from now, a year from now, that he got ripped off by us, even though that's not the case. And we're going to lose a great relationship. So I just said, you know, th this is a deal that it, that had a clause to be revisited at a later time. I didn't want to start this out in a bad way that was that I knew was taking advantage of somebody. So so now having done that deal. We actually agreed upon a number that I think is very good for us and probably lower than what if, if he comes back to us later, he may be looking to quadruple it type of thing, right? Oh, you guys were ripping me off. I got to take it. I got to get even now. So it's, mm. it's just not good having a situation where both sides aren't getting taken care of up front. That's fair for both sides. And I know Mark wants to add something. So go ahead, Mark. I, I do because it's really one of the big things I learned from you, Kevin, as a mentor is I watched him multiple times, Dr. Judy, put equity back on the table. You know, someone came to him and said, oh, I'll give you 50% of the company. And he'd be like, no, you know, a fair deal is really 25%. And they're like, what? You're giving equity back? And he's like, yeah, because Kevin, and I would ask him, I'm like, what did you do? You just gave up 25% of the company. And he goes, because they're going to expect more 
than what I can deliver for for 50%. I'd rather over deliver for the 25 that that is fair. And what I realized in watching him, and I even told him this the other day, I'm watching him negotiate and I go, I love watching you negotiate, you know, because I learn something every time. And here's what I learned a fair deal. We brag about getting a good deal. Oh, hey, mm-hmm. look, buddy, I just got this great deal over here. And we like to just celebrate it. But those are one-time deals. So if you want a deal that's scalable, an exponential deal, the only fair deal or only deal that's exponential is a fair deal. Now, here's the cool part. If you do a fair deal like Kevin's talking about, it's scalable to $1,000. It's scalable to a million dollars. It's scalable to $100 million versus any shark deal or any generous mm-hmm. deal it's only scalable to the next time you do business because then as soon as it scales, it falls apart. So it's a big thing that we talk about in the book and it's a big lesson that I learned from Kevin. He puts more time into figuring out how to make a deal fair than he does figuring out how to make it to his benefit. That's why he does good deals. That's why he's got over 20 companies that have done $100 million. Every one of those companies would have failed between one and $100 million if the deal wasn't fair. This is a great lesson for life, not just for business, but also for all of your relationships, right? I mean, even when you think about how you manage your relationship with your partner, with your family, with people who are important to you, if you're always thinking, what's the fair deal instead of what's a good deal for me, everything is going to get better. And I love that you guys emphasize this idea of the dream team. Obviously, a lot of people talk about the dream team. We've talked some about mentorship and how crucial it is. Um, But I think that sometimes people don't realize that no one achieves anything alone. And I really enjoyed this analogy that you guys talked about, about the turtle on a fence post. Like, how did that turtle get there? Somebody helped that turtle get there. Like, it didn't just all of a sudden get on a fence post by itself. And so you guys both were mentored by Zig Ziglar. And I love his quote that there's no elevator to success. You have to take the stairs. I think that it's an important lesson to discuss because there's a lot of people now who think they look on social media, they see influencers, they think instant success, right? They hear people's success stories. Again, a lot of people might have ideas about the two of you. Oh, well, they must have not failed very much. And, you know, maybe they just got to where they are by, you know, knowing the right people, like shortcuts, like whatever people are thinking. But there really isn't a shortcut. I mean, mentors help you and they get you to do it well, but the hard work still needs to be there. So what would you say to entrepreneurs who are really looking for that get rich fast theme, instant popularity? Because I think that concept is still very much out there. Well, from my side, I've worked hard my entire life. And, and even just talking about our book launch, as we mentioned, we set out a year ago, we turned this manuscript in um, in January before COVID, but we, we were working on it long before even a year ago. And now in the, in the, as we get closer, we said, oh, we're going to do, initially we said we're going to do at least 100 press and podcast kind of appearances. Well, we got to 100 and we said, let's make it 200. And, and because we were getting good at it and gaining momentum and gaining traction. And so Mark and I said, let's just keep keep doing it. We will figure out how to make more time available. And, and, and we've done it. And so um, those that want to get rich quick, it's, it, it, it's not, that isn't our kind of world. And, and we also, I don't want to mentor somebody like that because th- those are people that are going to be looking for all of those short little quick little things that, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to help them with because it, you have to start, you start with a plan, you execute the plan hey, you might get lucky and things might happen a little faster, but it doesn't, to have the mentality of get rich quick is, is just not, 
is, is not in our deck of cards at all. And, and certainly Zig Ziglar was the greatest. He, his mentality was the opposite. It was, yeah. you can help, you can get everything you want in life if you just help enough other people get what they want. So he, he said, and this is how I've lived my life and I know Mark lives his life, but you got to get help people and put people out there, mentor them and, and things will come back eventually. Maybe, you know, you never know, but it, it's, there, there's no quid pro quo there. And it, at the end of the day, get getting rich quick, it, it's uh, you're going to be very, very lucky if it happens, maybe one out of a, out of a thousand. And so we say you got to do it the normal way, which is put a plan together, execute a dream team surrounding yourself, go raise some capital and and build your business. I love the idea of building a dream team the right way. And Mark, you talked about these stories with your family that you obviously incorporated your family. You mentioned that earlier. It's called 2B Tim's. And one of the best stories um, in the book that I really loved is the moment when your non-biological children said, we want to take your last name because we're a real team. And that I think was a very touching moment in the story because you have a huge family, you have six children. And I think, again, applying this idea of dream team to family and business, how can we get kids and family members to buy in? Because I love the idea of family meetings. And actually, as a psychologist, I prescribe this to the families that I work with. But people are like, no, why, why would I have a meeting with my family? That's not how we do it. That's this family, it's not business. People have this really weird idea about how we can't intersect the two and yours has really paid dividends in many ways. So tell us about that and how people can incorporate into that idea. Well, first and foremost, I will tell you that I believe that if you're good at any aspect of your work, okay, entrepreneur, if you work for someone else, if you're good at some aspect of it, you can be that good at home as well. Meaning take what you already know and you're good at and start doing that at home. I was good at meetings. And so I started doing family meetings at home. Now I will tell you, my kids, some of them were a little older when I started. They were the first to say, no, I'm busy. I got homework. I can't do this. You know, this is crazy. But with consistency, we started doing it every Sunday night and it started becoming part of our everyday routine. And I got to tell you, it made a huge difference in our family because we were being intentional. We weren't just talking mm -hmm. about scheduling and who's doing what next week. We we're talking about why we were put on this earth, why we were created to be part of a family. And I was taking things I learned in business and teaching the family. And all of a sudden they started getting a lot out of it as well. And it was helping them. So whatever you're good at, if you're good at marketing, do a family logo. Uh, people don't realize one of the coolest things we did as a family was a family logo. At one point we used a 99 designs. We had, we spent $99 and we had 185 designers competing to do our family's logo from all over the world. And it turned out to be this amazing learning experience for our kids. And so we did family logos, we did a mission statement, we did do family meetings, but we did a lot of really cool things as well, talking about, you know, why family was like a business. We talked about finance, and we talked about bottom lines, we talked about marketing, we talked about reputation, all things that I was good at in business, but I wasn't that great at integrating into the family. So I started, one of the things I started doing too, is I said, hey, if this is a family business, you guys are gonna start traveling with me. So for a period of three years, my kids went with me on every single trip. I mean, uh, they would compete for who got to go on the next trip. Kevin got to meet most of my kids because I would bring them with me when I went. And I got to tell you, the things that I accomplished with them in hotel rooms, in Ubers, in train rides, on plane trips, 
far superseded what I was able to do at home. So if you're sitting out there and you're saying, hey, maybe I already own the most valuable business in the world and it's the one I'm going home to, not the one that I went to that day. And you start acting as though you are, you start bringing home your best and your first instead of your last and your least, the results that you'll get at home are a hundred times more than what you could ever imagine. So just do what you're already good at in work and bring it home and you'll start to win at home like you win at work. It's a great idea, especially for right now, as we are still in the middle of this pandemic and there has been a return to family values and thinking about your inner circle. And I have one last question for both of you. This is a time of crisis still, but at the same time, during times of crises, new businesses are often born. So what are your closing tips for anyone wanting to launch a business as we're still dealing with the pandemic today? I'll start it. Um, I think I'm just reading some some data from the government. There's more new businesses being started right now than ever before. And it's because of the opportunities that are out there. And in fact, my company as a consulting advisory company, uh, as one of our services, is is crushing it right now because many many businesses are in need of help. Many companies did not prepare for the direct to the consumer revolution, and so um, you know this digital world and social media influencers and how to use them uh, to build your business. So I believe that now is a great time. But the first thing that I look for is find a problem that's not being solved properly in the marketplace. Of course, there's a lot of those now with COVID and, you know, there's many, many companies popping up that are addressing a lot of these problems. You know, schools have problems, kids are coming in. Well, one company's making a, a, a device that you walk through and it scans you, takes your temperature and sends it into a database and keeps a file on you. And they're using these for offices and schools. And they're, they've created a product that solves a problem that's that's not being solved currently. So that's what I look for. And then I like things that have sort of a some kind of a um, big magical transformation of some type. And when I look at back at many of the infomercials and the as seen on TV products that I got involved with from cleaning products to skin products, to weight loss products, these are magically transformational problem solvers. And the magically transformational means it's easy for people to see it, visualize it, identify it, and, and then want to be part of it or buy it uh, because they see this tra- transformation. So um, those are the kinds of things that, that I get excited about when people are pitching me products or services. Does it solve a problem uniquely? And is there transformation involved for the end users? And for me, uh, I'm all about one of the lessons I learned from Kevin. We talked about it earlier, aggressive curiosity. Well, guess what that really means in layman's terms? Where are the eyeballs? Where are people looking? What new habits are being formed? And here's, here's the way that I learned from Kevin. You can have a really great business over here, but if nobody's looking in that direction, it's not going to end well. That business is not going to be successful. Or you can have a good business right in the direct path of where everybody's looking and where habits are being formed. And that good business will turn into a great business. So for me, I happen to have set up a business in e-commerce and that's where people are looking right now. That's where the eyeballs are out. People are shopping from home and that habit's not going to change anytime soon. And then I went a step further and said, how can I help people at home with new habits? Well, 
people still have hurts and harms and headaches. And so can we help them if they're not going to the doctor as much? And so we set up products in e-commerce that help people take care of themselves at home. That business is well on its way to me having my first $100 million business. And I learned that from Kevin. I'm implementing it. And it sounds really simple, right? Set up a business where the eyeballs are at, solve a problem that people have, and put a dream team in place around it, and you really can achieve some extraordinary things. And so, so that's my advice to people. Where are people looking? What habits are being formed? And then make sure you're putting a dream team around you, a dream team that will help you get there. And you most assuredly will come out of the other side of this time frame and look back and say, you're thankful for the pivot, you're thankful for the opportunity to regroup, and I hope you're also thankful for the extra quality time at home. I can't, I can't wrap up a message by saying that if you can take everything that you've learned here from Kevin and I, from, from Dr. Judy, and you can start really applying it to your most valuable business at home, that you'll look back and say, this was the critical time in my life that now is making all the difference in the world. Awesome closing advice, Kevin and Mark. It was such a pleasure to talk to you guys. Thank you so much for spending time with me and sharing your experience and wisdom with my listeners. Everybody needs to pick up this book, Mentor to Millions. You can find it at mentortomillionsbook.com and also it's on Amazon. And where else can people find out more about each of you and your work? Well, you can also go, we're going to do a little something special since we're on your show here. And if you go to kevinmentor.com, go get the book wherever books are sold. Go to kevinmentor.com and we'll give you 30 days of mentorship from Kevin and I. And so we want to give everybody the habit of mentorship. So spend 30 days with us. Afterwards, you'll have that confidence to raise your own hand. So kevinmentor.com. And then you can find us on all the social media channels at Kevin Harrington and at Mark Tim. Holy smokes, you guys. Thank you so much for that amazing offer. So we will have all of those links in the show notes. Make sure to get your 30 days of mentorship with Kevin and Mark. That is an amazing gift. And again, thank you both for paying it forward and giving back during this important time with your extremely valuable book. Thanks, Dr. Judy. Great, great hanging out with you today. Yeah. Great hanging out. Thank you so much. Up next are my supercharged tips of the day. Don't go anywhere. So Jan, I really hope today's show helped answer some of your questions. And now to today's supercharged secret. Today, we're going to talk about how to achieve success in business and all of your relationships. And the first tip is to be inspired by the best. Find yourself a mentor and mentor people too. You heard Kevin and Mark say that they're both still being mentored and they're also mentoring millions, right? So It doesn't matter how wise or how experienced you get. Everybody needs a mentor and you need a mentor who listens. You need a mentor who's going to let you fail. You're going to find a mentor who can help you to not be afraid and really push forward so that you can get to that next level. It's really wonderful having a mentor. So find one to guide you and be one to others. The second tip is to believe in your potential. I love that story about the four minute mile. Your mind is oftentimes your only limiting factor. So take the limits off of your vision and your dreams. Whatever you imagine can be possible. So don't limit yourself and don't think that you don't have a shot because as Kevin and Mark both explained, if you can find that specific problem that needs solving and then you get your dream team around you, anything is possible. 
The third tip is to start embracing your mistakes. Mistakes are the mother of success. They are expected and they are necessary. Remember what we talked about with Kevin's success to failure ratio. It's actually terrible. So even the best fail. And in fact, they have to fail to get to that next level. So think like a phoenix and phoenixes transform when they rise from their ashes. So think about each mistake as a learning experience. Fourth tip, value, rest, and leisure. This is equally important in business and relationships. If this is tough for you, you should actually schedule timeframes to do this and keep to it the way you would a business meeting or doctor's appointment. You heard Mark say that you need to apply these business strategies to your relationships, to your family, that your family is the most valuable company. And I love that analogy. So think about applying that because it will help you in all areas of your life. The last tip I have is kind of a version of the 80-20 rule. It's a different application here because basically what Kevin and Mark say is plan 70 to 80%. Then you got to execute it. You can't get stuck as a procrastinating perfectionist, really test things out in the market. So do plan, don't be impulsive, but then you have to launch it and see what happens. And then you can make adjustments from there. You can only learn the rest of your information that's needed by doing, not thinking. So thank you for listening to this episode of Supercharged Life. If you like the show and want to learn more, follow me at Dr. Judy Ho. Remember to subscribe, download, and tell your friends and take a moment to leave a review. It'll mean so much to me. And if you have questions, please send me a comment or a DM on Instagram. Your questions help to inspire me to think outside the box about what you guys would like to hear next. And I'll let you know if I'm going to be answering your questions on a upcoming episode of the podcast. I'm Dr. Judy, and remember, anytime is a great time to supercharge your life. The Supercharged Life with Dr. Judy podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional, medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnosis, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professional.